Welcome to Park Church. We're glad that you're here. Um, right now, this Christmas season, this December, we're in this series called Generous God, Generous People. And what the series is about is, it's kind of obvious from the name of the series, um, we believe that God is so generous, and as God's people, we ought to, we ought to also be generous. Right? Makes sense? Um, and this is this is the time for a series like this, because this is the season of generosity. This is the season of gift giving. This is the season of giving to charity and things like that. And you might easily say that what Christmas is, is one big act of God's generosity. When God um, gave of himself to come to this earth to be born uh, in human flesh as that baby in Bethlehem with the, you know, with the angels and the shepherds and the animals and all of that. And he did that in order to give us life, in order, in order to save us. That's, that's God's great act of generosity. One of his most prominent followers, this man named John, he was a guy who followed Jesus all of his life and then at the end of his life wrote about it. There's a book, The Gospel of John, um, and he kind of captures this in probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16. You've seen it at, at football games and in hockey games, and Stone Cold Steve Austin has a 3.16 as well, right? Um, and that verse is, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. And that, that, that captures what Christmas is all about, God giving himself. That captures um, the generous God. And this is it right here, right? The generous God says, God loved us, so he gave. God loved us, so he gave. And so uh, as generous people, we love God. And I know that for some of us, that's true. We love God. For some of us here, that's like maybe true. Maybe you're taking baby steps towards saying that. Um, maybe you're kind of like on the fence with God. Maybe for some of you, you're here and you don't believe in God at all. And you don't think, you definitely don't love God because you don't believe in God. We're glad that you are here and that you can um, kind of listen in this morning on what, on what this faith thing is all about. But for those of us, right, we love God. The question is, but do we give, right? God loved us, so he gives. We love God, but do we give? But do you give? And for those of you who, who claim to love God, who claim to be Jesus followers, do you give like it? And I don't mean financially. I, I, I also mean financially, but I don't just mean financially. I mean, do you give yourself like it? Do you give your heart, your mind, your energy, your time, your resources, your attention, your gifts, your talents, your calendar, your wallet, your finances? Do you give like it? Because here's, here's what we're good at. We are good at kind of holding back a piece of ourselves for ourselves, right? God gets our pocket change, that kind of thing. God gets five minutes here, ten minutes there. God gets an hour or so every other Sunday morning, whatever, right? But we hold back the best parts of us for ourselves. Or we're also good at holding back the parts of us that we don't want God involved with. Sure, we'll give God some of us that we want him to be involved with. But the stuff that we like about ourselves, that we know God doesn't like about ourselves, we're going to hold that back for ourselves. Or we know what God's like. He's going to mess things up for us. If we say, hey, do with me what you will. We're not really looking for that. And so we hold back. 
To put it in the language of investments, we like to have a diversified portfolio, right? <laughs> we invest a little bit here in God, but our real investments are out there. Our real investments are in our social standing and kind of where we are in the world. And they're in um, the power we've accumulated for ourselves, right? Or our position at work or our success or the security we've built for ourselves. That's where our real investments are. That's, that's what moves the needle. That's where the return is. This, this little God investment, it doesn't do much. It doesn't cost much, but it doesn't, it doesn't do much either. We're, we're kind of good at that. And to stick with the language of investment. The question is, if God so loved the world that he invested that heavily in us, what's, what's our response? How should we invest ourselves in God? If God so loved us that we gave, um, for us to love God, how should we give? How should we invest ourselves? That's the, that's the question that we're going to ask this morning, and we're going to look um, at one moment where Jesus, where Jesus really gets he gets to the heart of this. Jesus, he's the reason for the season. <laughs> Jesus not only lives the answer to that question. If you look at Jesus' life, you see the answer to the question. But Jesus teaches the answer to this question in one little short, tiny story called a parable. Now, if you don't know what a parable is, um, a parable is basically a story. It's a tool that Jesus uses again and again and again to teach these big, complex, um, deep, multi-layered ideas, these multi-layered truths, but he uses everyday things. So in those days, it's about a farmer, right? It's about two brothers who were fighting. A guy was walking down a road, that kind of thing. Um, but he uses these to teach huge truths about who God is, about what God is doing through him, about what God's kingdom is like. That's what this one is partially about. But what this parable also is about is about our question. It's about what our response is. Now that God has come to the world at Christmas time, born in that manger, um, the world has changed. Everything is different now. God has come. God's kingdom has come, born in that baby. We sung about that in those last few songs. Now that that's happened, what's different? What, what's our response? That's what our parable for this morning gets us to. And so uh, it's in the Gospel of Matthew, it's in chapter uh, 13, and it's just one verse. It's the shortest parable you're, you're ever going to read, maybe. I don't do that research, but it, it could be. There's actually shorter ones, but this is how it starts. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, dot, dot, dot. The kingdom of heaven is like. Now, before we get into like, the real meat of it, I, I just want to say two things about this. For one, the Gospel of Matthew, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were people who directly followed Jesus or were very close with people who, who were direct eyewitnesses of Jesus. Matthew was a direct eyewitness of Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, he refers to it as the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere else, it's called the kingdom of God. No one knows why that actually is, but the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, it's the same thing. When you hear kingdom of heaven, don't, don't think like the Charmin ads with like um, angels and clouds. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, on the other hand, is a, this too is a multi-layered, um, difficult thing to explain. It's very difficult to say in a short definition, which is why Jesus had to tell parable after parable with things like the kingdom of heaven is like, Right? But I'll give you a little picture of what the kingdom of God is like, just to get us started. 
you know what a kingdom is, right? Yes. Everyone knows what a kingdom is. Um, a kingdom is a realm, a place, a land where a king has authority over it. And what the king wants to see happen is what happens in his kingdom. And it works when the subjects, when the people of the kingdom um, trust that the king has their best interests in mind. And they do what the king wants because the king is good and the king is um, gracious and the king does have their best interests in mind. So the kingdom of God is kind of, it's just difficult to explain because it's not tangible. The kingdom of God is the realm, it's, it's the reality where um, what God wants happens. Where, where, where God is in control in a way that actually plays out in human existence. And you can see it with your eyes. That's, that's, that's what God's kingdom is like. It's, it's tough to explain, um, but that's what it's like. And so when we uh, look at the life and the, the, the ministry and the teachings of Jesus, we see the kingdom of God in things like this. Um, eyes that were blind are given sight. And we see things like people who uh, were sick and couldn't be healed are healed. In the kingdom of God, uh, broken people are restored. And things that were dead are given new life. And things that were hopeless find hope. This is, what, this is what happens in the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom of God is like. Where things that um, shouldn't be forgiven are forgiven. Where the low are lifted up, that's what the kingdom of God is like. Whatever the kingdom of God is, it is, it is a treasure. And that's the parable. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is like a treasure hidden in a field. You see, it's hidden. You can't just see it. It's, it's, it's hard. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. It's like a treasure hidden, not easy to describe, very hard to point to. We know what it's not. What happened in Jersey City this past week, that's the opposite of the kingdom of God, right? That's, that's the opposite. We know in our bones when we don't see it, but it's hard to know when we do see it. But like I said, this parable isn't primarily about what the kingdom of God is as much as it's about our response to it. Now that Jesus has come near, the kingdom of God has come to us, what do we do? And that's what this parable answers. So let's, let's get into the parable a little bit. So this is a guy, we don't know anything about him. He could be a laborer, he could just be a random guy walking, whatever it is, he's in this, he's in this field. And um, I mean, he has to be working, right? Because he's digging, right? And he's digging, he's digging, and all of a sudden his shovel hits something with a thump, with a clink, whatever it is. And, and he's like, oh, okay, what is this? And so he kind of digs a little more and he digs it out and he sees in the ground there, there's something that looks like a, you know, like a chest, like a box. And so he gets down on his knees and he kind of, um, you know, takes the soil off of it and kind of unearths it. He dusts it off. He pulls it out. He puts it on the pile of dirt that he put there. And he doesn't know what he's going to find. He probably thinks it's, you know, a box of Judean air, right? He doesn't know. It, it could be a box of garbage. It, it could be something, you know, maybe old, old pots. He, he, he doesn't know. He opens it. And what he finds is a treasure that is beyond comparison. A treasure uh, filled with diamonds and 
and rubies and, and uh, gems and, and gold and silver. And he can't believe it because he hasn't done the math, but what's in this treasure chest, it outweighs the potential that he could ever make in 500 of his lifetimes, in 5,000 of his lifetimes. It is of immeasurable value to this man. And so he, he sees it. He kind of looks around. He makes sure no one's watching, right? He closes the lid quietly. He puts it back in the ground quietly. Puts the dirt back over. Kicks, you know, kicks some grass on top so it looks like nothing ever happened there. And he walks away. And he does what is sensible, though extreme. He goes to the landowner and he says, how much, how much do you want for this plot of land? I, I kind of like it. Seems like a good place to grow crops, right? How much is it worth? And then, you know, the landowner tells him, I'll sell it to you for this much. So he goes home, he, you know, he calls his banker. He doesn't know how much he has. And he, he looks and he doesn't have enough. He doesn't have enough to buy this plot of land. And so what does he do? He looks at all the stuff he has in his home and he kind of counts it all up and he says, I can sell all this, but it's still not going to be enough. So he sells his home also. He sells everything he has, and he gets that money, goes back to the landowner, buys the land, and he gets the treasure. He sells everything to get that land, not because of the land, but because of the treasure that's hidden in it. For those of you who um, are maybe on the fence about what it means to be a Jesus follower, do you know what this parable is? This is Jesus' call to each of us, to each of you, to leave everything behind and come follow me. To lay down your life and come follow me. To sell everything you have, give that money to the poor, and instead, come follow me. That's what, that's what this parable is all about. That's, that's what it is. And because of the joy that he finds, he goes and he does it. He's pumped because he knows what he's getting. Today, this, this story is a little difficult to understand because um, who finds treasures in fields, right? Evidently, back then, that was a big deal. But today, this is what it would be like today. Imagine this. Imagine you have a friend who has no family, no real other friends. He's kind of a loner, but you have this friend, and he buys, like, a Powerball ticket. And the Powerball is, like, one of the big ones, like, the biggest one ever. What's the biggest Powerball ever? A billion dollars? It's a billion dollars. Um, and he buys this ticket, and the guy wins the lottery. He's the only winner. That lottery ticket is worth a billion dollars. He doesn't go right to the 7-Eleven to cash it in, right? Because he needs to call a lawyer. He needs to call an accountant. He needs to get his house in order. And so he brings it home, and he puts it in his favorite book that he's reading, and he uses it as a bookmark. <laughs> that night, the man dies. Tragic. We have a funeral. We remember him and we love him. Um, but now there's this home, and inside of it there's a bookshelf. And on the bookshelf, on the top shelf, there's a book. Inside of the book is a lottery ticket worth a billion dollars. And he has no one that that house is going to. He has no family. He has no friends. He has no will. He has no anything. And so the bank takes possession of that home. And they say, this is a home on the bad side of town. It's roof leaks. It's not really in great shape. Let's just do one of those foreclosure type sales and let's put it up for auction. And so it's up for auction. And no one, I mean, no one really wants to buy the thing because who wants to buy a house like that? But you and you alone know the value of that house. And you say to yourself, how much money do I have in the bank? And you realize you don't have any money in the bank, so you can't buy that house. What do you have to do? You have to sell everything you have. 
to buy that house. You have to even sell your own house, which is a nice house on the nice side of town with a white picket fence and all that nonsense, right? You have to sell all of that, but you do it because you know of the value of that lottery ticket in that book. And you go to the bank, you, you give them an offer they can't refuse, and you get the home. Now, in this scenario, it seems like a no-brainer, right? Who wouldn't do that? Everyone would do that. But when you start to think about the mechanics of all of this, there's all kinds of reasons not to. I painted this picture for our two oldest boys, who are 7 and 10. And I was expecting them to be like, oh, a billion dollars. I'm totally doing that. Both of them were like, no, I'm not going to do that. I was like, why not? And um, the older one gave a total pasture kid answer. He was like, we should give the money to the poor. We have enough. I'm like, I know, I know. You're right. You're right. Uh, our other one was like, no, I wouldn't want to sell all my stuff because I like my toys. Right? Both of them, both of them wouldn't do it. And when it comes down to it, and when it comes to faith, there's all kinds of things that stop us from making the investment that is otherwise a no-brainer to make. All kinds of things that stop us. And so what are some of those things that stop us? And the first one I'll give you, which is really um, the most difficult one to overcome, is that you just don't believe it. You just don't think the treasure is actually a treasure. It's cubic zirconium. It's, it's costume jewelry. This is not actually a treasure. You know, the lottery ticket, you don't believe that's actually worth that much money. And there are people um, who simply do not believe any of the God, kingdom of God, angels, and Jesus, like all of that, just don't believe that. And the thing is, and this is what's so difficult, I can't convince you otherwise. If people like me could convince you otherwise, um, none of this would work like this, and I would make a lot of money because I could convince you of things that are impossible to convince. I can't convince you of that. Only God himself can actually convince you of that. But my hope for someone who just doesn't believe any of this is true is that you would continue to come, that you would continue to consider it, and I can tell you from my perspective, from my story, the treasure is actually the treasure. It's worth it. The people in my life who I know who have seen the, um, the fruit of the treasure in their life, it is worth it, all right? That's the first one, and it's hard to get around. You just don't believe this stuff. Um, the second one, and this is a little more common, is what I'll call short-term thinking. As opposed to long-term thinking, right? As opposed to big-picture thinking, this is just short-term thinking. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who is a retirement you know, investor-type financial advisor, long-term planning-type guy. And I asked him, I said, Jim, that's his name. Um, I'll give you his, his, his last initial is D. Um, his last name is D, D-E-E, -E, which is confusing. Um, I said to him, Jim, why do people not take retirement more seriously? Like, why don't people think more about their retirement fund? Like, why don't they give attention to it? And he gave me a great answer, long answer, lots of reasons, lots of stuff, and I was paying attention. However, the first six words that he said were really enough for me, and they hit me. He said, people just don't think like that. People just don't think like that. We think immediately, right? We think short term. Um, if I'm not going to get a return on my dollar today, or at least tomorrow the latest, I'm probably not going to put it somewhere where I don't see what happens to it, right? 
he said to me that in the uh, financial advising type world like that, there's all kinds of studies done. And he said that most people will spend more time researching the next vehicle purchase that they'll drive for the next five, seven, 10 years, however you take care of your car. They'll spend more time researching their next vehicle purchase than they will um, on how to live the last 20 or 30 years of their lives. I was like, wow, that's scary. And then I thought to myself, I've spent more time today researching the restaurant I'm going to eat at tonight than I ever have on my retirement. When my financial advisor calls, I don't even call him back. Like, that's, that's where I'm like, oh my God. But we, we are short-term thinkers, right? That's, that's the heart at what um, our middle son, Eli, was saying is, he doesn't want to sell his toys because he likes his toys now. And I explained to him, I'm like, Eli, you realize if you sold your toys now, you would get enough money to buy an infinite amount of toys. And he, he doesn't think like that. He, he can't think like that. He can't think beyond because he is a short-term thinker because he's my son. We're all <laughs> short-term thinkers. But really, it's because he doesn't understand the value of it. He doesn't understand what a billion dollars means. He doesn't understand the value of saving like that. And um, if you only knew the value, you would do anything to get it. If you actually understood the value. And along with this reason is this idea that um, investing like this, it's just too much work. It's too much sacrifice. I've never sold a home before, but I'm imagining having to sell a home, it's a lot of work. I, I put a lot of work into that home. Now I gotta sell it, I gotta sell my stuff, I gotta buy a new home, I gotta buy a field, and there's stuff wrong with the field, there's stuff wrong with that home. It seems like a lot of work. It seems like too much to give up. And listen, when Jesus says stuff like sell all you have, he doesn't just mean sell all you have, but he means you're gonna have to give up things that you think are really important. Like those things that you do that you know you shouldn't do, you're going to have to give those up. The word he uses for that is repent. Um, the idea that you're in charge of your life and everything kind of circles around you and you get to do whatever you want with your money, you're going to have to give up that idea, right? Um, it is actually a lot of work to sell all you have, to buy a field, uh, and to dig up that treasure. And a lot of people who I've heard from and talked to aren't interested in faith because of how much it's going to cost. Because they're afraid that they, um, they can't be who they are anymore. They're afraid that they won't be able to have fun anymore. They're afraid that it will demand too much of their lives. And the thing is, it totally makes sense. It's totally valid. Unless you knew what the value of the treasure was. Unless you knew that. Another thing that stops us is fear. Fear is a powerful motivator, a powerful demotivator in this sense. Because what happens if you buy the home and before you move in, someone breaks in and steals a lottery ticket? You're afraid of that scenario. What happens if you buy the home and before you move in, the house burns down, right? You're afraid that you won't actually get what you're looking for. You're afraid because we're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of change. We're afraid of what's not familiar, Maybe the fear that stops you is that you're afraid of what other people will think of you. I've heard that a lot too, right? Why would you sell this nice white picket fence home uh, in a good area with good schools to buy a garbage home in a bad area with bad schools? Why would you do that? What will people think of you? There's a lot of people out there 
who um, won't invest themselves in faith because they are afraid of what their family will think of them. They're afraid of what their friends will think of them. Uh, they're afraid of what their coworkers, because why would you rearrange your life for something that you can't actually see? That's a, that's a scary thought for a lot of people. Maybe that's a scary thought for you that's holding you back from actually making an investment in faith like this. And the last thing that stops us, and this is a tricky one too, but it's, it's a bad experience with faith, right? Think about it in terms of the house. You visited that house before. It is not in good shape, right? It's got a, it's, it's got a mice problem. Um, something definitely died in the wall, right? It's probably haunted. It, it leaks. You don't want that. Or you've been in the field before, and when you were at that field, you got six mosquito bites, right? You twisted your ankle when you fell in the ditch, and you're pretty, you're pretty sure there's a jungle cat who's roaming out to get you, right? You don't want that field. There are, there are countless people in Monmouth County, who want nothing to do with God, the kingdom of God, faith, and church because of their experience in the past. And maybe you're in that boat. Countless people who have been hurt by the church, who have been turned off by something that happened. There are countless people for whom um, an important Christian, an important Christ follower in their life turned their back, stabbed them in the back, hurt them in some ways, or worse, there are countless stories where people like me, people who um, try to be leaders of the people, do things that are unspeakable and let you down. This is the reality of this. People have bad experiences, and that is a totally legitimate reason to stop you from investing in the kingdom of God unless you knew the value unless you knew the value of what you were getting when you actually invested here. You might not see it immediately, right? Because it's hidden. But if you knew the value, you would buy in regardless of what else has happened. All of these things, short-term thinking, the work, the sacrifice, fear, bad experiences, are all perfect reasons unless the value is so great that you simply cannot walk away from an investment like this. And what I'm telling you, what Jesus is telling you in this parable is that this treasure is so great that you would be a fool to walk away from it, even if there's good reasons to stop you. Because when you think about that treasure, what's actually in that box? What's in the box? What's in that box? That was a seven reference. Nothing like that as in the box, right? What's in the box? Um, now I can't get it out of my head. Uh, I told you what's in the box already, and uh, John says it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. Eternal life is in the box. And eternal life, um, it is life forever. It is life with God in a way that is so good that we don't even have the constructs to be able to describe it. We can't describe it. But that's what eternal life is. But eternal life is also life now in a way that's better than before, in a way that feels like living even though things are hard. That's what eternal life is. Eternal life is um, meaning for your life that isn't uh, damaged or affected by your suffering. Eternal life is purpose that gives your life meaning in spite of your suffering. Eternal life 
is confidence that even though there are all kinds of reasons to be afraid, to be anxious, to be worried, God has got you so you have nothing to fear, so you have confidence. Eternal life is satisfaction. It's, it's contentment. It's happiness that the worst of circumstances really can't get you. That's what eternal life is. And this might not make sense, but it is a relationship with the creator of the universe who hung the sun and the moon and the stars and loves you so much that he gave it all to come and be close to you, for you to know him and follow him. That's eternal life. If you knew the value of that treasure, if you knew that value, like the man in the parable knows it, with joy, with glee, you would go running home to collect your things, sell them, and buy that treasure. Because if you knew the value of the treasure, it doesn't matter um, how poor your thinking is. That will get corrected real fast. If you knew the value, it doesn't matter the cost or the sacrifice, because the joy of finding that treasure way outweighs. It doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter the fear, the bad experience, because the ROI, the return on that investment, is simply too high not to invest there. So that being the case, what do you do then? And this is what's so tricky about this. This is what's so frustrating about this. Here's why this is hard. The only way for you to get the billion dollars is to sell your home, go to the bank, buy the thing, go in your house, your new house, go up the steps, grab the book, get the lottery ticket, go to 7-Eleven and cash it in. The only way to get the treasure is to sell your stuff, go to the landowner, buy the field, and dig up that treasure. The only way to experience the kingdom of God it's to lay down your life, to sell it all, and follow after Jesus. What I'm saying here is I can tell you how valuable the treasure is, but I can't cause you to believe that. I can't cause you to experience it because it's hidden, and it takes work to unearth it. It takes time to unearth it. I can't cause you to experience that. Do you know what this parable is actually doing when it when it comes down to it, it's Jesus saying to each and every one of you, though you might not see the fruit of the treasure just yet because it's buried, I want you to trust me, it's worth it. Even if all you have to go on is my word, Jesus says, even if there are things to be afraid of, even if you don't think like that, even if there are things, even if, even if, even if, even if, I'm telling you, the kingdom of God, it is like a treasure of immeasurable value that if you found, you would do anything to, to get that treasure. So what I'm telling you is trust me. That's what Jesus is saying to each and every one of us. And that is, at the core of it, that's what faith is. I can't see it, but I'm going to trust Jesus. That's faith. And so if you, this morning, want to take a step of faith by investing in God's kingdom, um, there are really two steps that I want to give you. Prepare for your mind to be blown, all right? The first, get rid of your bad investments. Sell what you have. That's what the guy in the parable does. Sell what you have. Get rid of your bad investments. I already told you what some of the bad investments were. The idea that uh, everything you have, your resources, your time, it all belongs to you. You can do whatever you want with it. That's a bad investment. Get rid of that idea. 
A bad investment is the things that you do that you know you shouldn't do and you need to stop. That's a bad investment. Repent from that. Turn around. Walk away from those things. The idea that your value, your identity, your life is wrapped up in the things you've achieved, the things you've made for yourself. Bad investments. Get rid of all of those. The second thing that you could do is make a good investment. Just make one good investment. And I'll give you some ideas for how to do that. Um, take out your calendar, and this week, start to invest time in your relationship with God. S say to yourself, I'm going to uh, put this first, and I'm going to give time to actually um, reading the Bible this week. Every day, I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to give time to praying. Or Coming on Sunday mornings, it's a priority like once a month. I'm going to make that a priority every single week. Invest your time in your relationship with God. It's a, it's a simple investment, but it's also um, one where you will not see the fruit of that immediately, right? But over time, you will. That's one idea. Another idea is invest in the community. Um, if you think that you can be a kingdom investor on your own, it just doesn't work like that. You need to be with other people who are investing like you are. And so uh, here at Park Church, we do community groups, and they're going to be relaunching in January. Um, I can tell you, uh, January, it will be the time to actually invest in a community group like that. And you might not see the results right away, right? That's the nature of investing. You don't see it right away but it will bear fruit in your life. And I know there's all kinds of reasons why you can't be a part of one because of childcare and work schedules and you don't have time for that. You can make time for it. You can, and you could be involved, as involved as you can be. Um, but now's the time to invest like that. And then the third idea I'll give you for a good investment um, is, well, there's this old saying, I don't know if it's old actually, but there's a saying that if you want to know what's important to someone, look at their calendar and look at their budget, right? Um, look at your calendar, invest your time in God and in community, but then look at your budget. Um, are you investing your financial resources in God's kingdom? For some reason, uh, money has a power over us that limits us, and when you actually give of yourself um, generously like that, things change. And so, are you investing your financial resources in God's kingdom? Maybe this is your time to start. Maybe you're someone who gives zero, you can give a little. Maybe you're someone who gives a little, you can give a lot. Maybe you're someone who gives a lot, um, you can change the way that you give to make your giving more useful. I don't know what that will look like for you, but that's a good investment. Start, start making that kind of investment. Don't try to do all of them, because when you try to do all of them, you will do none of them, right? That's a rule. Don't try to do all of them. But say, this week, this month, whatever it is, I'm going to cut off that bad investment. Or I'm going to start investing differently. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that with my relationship with God. And it will not feel amazing at first because investments don't feel amazing. Think about it. You give your hard-earned money to an investor, and then you don't see it again for like 30 years, right? That doesn't feel good. It might feel like digging in a field. It might be tiring. You might get hurt while you're digging. But if Jesus is trustworthy... If Jesus is trustworthy, then the treasure is worth it. And if God is truly so generous to entrust us 
with access to a treasure of that much value, of immeasurable value, then let's respond like it. Let's pray. God, we uh, come before you so thankful for all that you've given because you have given us so much. You've given us a treasure of immeasurable value and we can't possibly respond in any other way but by thanking you and by, and by giving what we have in order to get that treasure. We pray that you would um, make that movement within us. If there, if there are things in us that, we, uh, that are stopping us, Lord, we pray that you would take those out of our lives. Give us the courage to get rid of those things, to get rid of our bad investments. Help us to make good investments, Father. When you came at Christmas, you came as a baby, but you came as a king, bringing your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, Father, that you would make that kingdom known to us as we sing now and as we celebrate you being born our Savior and our King, even though it was hard to see when you were first born. It's hard to see now sometimes. Help us to see it, Father. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.